Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. You're listening to Book Club Babes. Let's get into it. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. I'm so excited because we've got a special guest. Angeline Booley is here with us today to answer some questions for us about Warrior Girl Unearthed. Mm hmm. Our, um, what month is it? May book. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure May. Angeline's feeling the same after her whirlwind tour. Amazing. Hi, <laughs> Angeline. Hello. So good to have you. Oh, it's good to see you guys too. It just feels like not that long ago that we were getting together to talk about Firekeeper's Daughter. I mm-hmm. know. And when we did the um, cover release for Warrior Girl Unearthed. Yes, I'm so glad you got to be a part of that. Us we were too. so honored. So yeah. Fun. <laughs> Honestly, mm-hmm. as well, having that experience and listening to the artist like talk about the cover and then getting the book and seeing it in person, it is so stunning. And Chantal was even pointing mm-hmm. out things to me that I didn't notice, like the hair and the water and the braid. It's and Perry, Perry's little scar on the yes, yes. eyebrow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. I love it. And there are 13 uh, maple leaves on the cover. Ooh, I just that. got the chills. That's so yeah. awesome. I love mm. That's the thing with you. And I, I don't know if you listen to our episodes, but I had said this to Chantel. Every single thing that you put into the book is um, important. Like there was Mm -hmm. nothing that you couldn't skip chapters in this book. Like you needed everything. And I love that. And that just makes so much sense that you would put that thought into the cover as well. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All right. right. I'll preface by saying I have listened to all the episodes uh, about Warrior Girl. So I'm, I'm ready for your questions. All right, we've got some questions and we've even got a bunch from our babes too. So we're excited. (laughs) Okay, so first of all, we'll start off with the big heavy hitter, what everybody wants to know, because not just Kate and I, but all of the babes, we are not ready to leave Sugar Island yet. And we're wondering, Kaylee's wondering, um, she'd love to know if you're currently working on another novel and if so, will it be another one set on Sugar Island? Yes, I am working on a third book, uh, Details to Come, and uh, it will be connected to Sugar Island. Oh, oh amazing. That's okay. so exciting. I'm ready to go back already or have a little <laughs> taste of it already. <laughs> Same. Oh, my goodness. Um, and then Annie is wondering, um, so if you are working on anything else, will any of our characters tie back in again? Like how Donis and TJ, etc. Yes, I love doing stories with um, connected characters. I mean, I'm writing about a fictionalized version of my tribal community. So of course, You know, I'll mention a name in one book and then you might not hear any more from them for, you know, two more books, but I haven't forgotten them. Amazing. I love that. I'm so excited already. (laughs) Well, now we're okay. Interview over, but that's all we need to know. Okay, but I'll let you get back to work on that novel. Just kidding. Yeah, honestly, if, if we end this interview early, will we get the book sooner? That's the real question. <laughs> okay, so I've got a question for you. This this one's for me. So the relationship between Perry and Pauline, I found very interesting, um, and particularly the comparison between Pauline being the smart one. 
Um, and then the relationship between Perry and Warrior Girl is also very interesting and prominent. So I'm wondering, would you credit Warrior Girl with giving Perry the confidence to feel like she wasn't less than Pauline towards the end of the book? Yes, I do. I do. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I feel um, like, I- yeah, that she helped Perry to see aspects of herself that maybe she wouldn't have gotten there as soon, if ever, um, without her. Yes, that makes sense. I just, I just really love that part um, when they were in the hole and Perry says, I'm the greatest thing that Sugar Island has ever seen. It was yeah. so powerful for her to have that memory of being an eight-year-old, but then know her worth and say it. Loved it. Yeah, that, you know, uh, exactly that she, for her to realize, you know, after um, Leroy, uh, Dr. Leroy, after he says, you know, oh, I was going to, I was saving Pauline for the, you know, the 13th uh, person and um, because she's the best that Sugar Island, you know, has to offer. And for Perry to know, like stand in her truth that no, um, she is the best that Sugar Island has to offer. And and just that connection that she feels that truthfully, uh, you know, Pauline does not feel that uh, connection to to Sugar Island in the same way that Perry does. Oh, that clarifies so much for me. Yes, that really makes a lot of sense, right? Mm-hmm. Because she wasn't saying Pauline wasn't the best, just that she had more, yes, more weight yeah. on Sugar Island. I love that. I love that. Because of how she, you know, when, when she explained to Wab early in the book, you know, about how she um, hears, she listens to everything that's, uh, all of the sounds and, you know, that she taps into all of this knowledge about Sugar Island and the trees and the, you know, the springs and, and the river and just her connection to Sugar Island is at that level that, you know, when, when she described to Wab that, you know, Pauline listens, but she doesn't quite hear everything. And, and so really it's acknowledging that because Perry is exactly who she is, she is the best that Sugar Island has to offer. I love that. Thank you yes. for sharing that. I love that. Um, we're wondering if you have a connection to Black Ash Baskets as well. And if not, is there an object that you're drawn to like Perry was in the book? Oh, um, my! I have one of the baskets that my grandma made um and, oh, and so yeah amazing. I I have like a prized possession of a basket that my grandma wove when she was young and uh a, a young woman and um you know it's not a craft that I've taken up but that's so beautiful that's amazing that you have that beautiful gift from your grandmother and that you were able to write that into the book for Perry as well oh I love yeah. that I'm feeling a little teary-eyed honestly that got me right in the heart okay we learned quite a bit about how important family and community is to indigenous culture in both warrior girl on earth and firekeeper's daughter and then we're wondering how the importance of that sense of community affected your approach to writing um warrior girl on earth and even firekeeper's daughter yeah you know i mean I want to approach difficult issues with um, not just the facts, but the feelings too. Like these are important issues to me. Um, and and so I want to do my research so that the information I'm sharing is, uh, you know, fact-based and, and, and that it's plausible too. I, I did that with, um, Firekeeper's daughter, any of the crimes that happened in the book, they were based on actual crimes that did happen, including a tribal judge that, um, you know, uh, uh, found loopholes to get uh, her her sister's 
drug uh, associates um, lenient sentences or tossed out and, and um, you know, sentenced rival drug businesses harshly. Um, you know, I, I just made sure that every crime that was in the book was something that had actually happened because I didn't want someone to say, oh, that would never happen. Or yeah, you just went a little bit too far and that's not believable. And so mm-hmm. I, I did want to have those facts. And then I just believe that telling a good story, um, you know, having readers care about characters, that's the best entry point to, um, you know, share information about issues. I, I could do a lecture about repatriation and it's not going to have the impact that readers who, you know, care for, care about Perry and, um, you know, and are outraged the way that she is uh, when she meets warrior girl. Um, That's to me, that's how you um, break through the people. Yes. A hundred percent. I, and I can say that you've achieved that for sure. Yes. Reading the book, having read the book and not known much about repatriation. I mean, if you listen to the episodes, you know that we totally butchered that word in the first one, embarrassingly, (laughs) our apologies. Um, however, I, I do. I do. <laughs> I do feel like I've we've we've both learned mm-hmm. quite a bit, yeah. and and in a way, like you said, in a way that makes us care. Mm-hmm. It's it's humanizing it. It's not just somebody else that it's happened to because we do love these characters. Kind of cool, yeah. To be honest. Oh, I uh, will say, I um I was at a book event and. Uh, the woman who um, does the NAGPRA um, at the federal level, she told me that um, in the beginning of the book, how I dedicate it to the 108,000 um, ancestors, mm-hmm. she said that number as of now is 101,000 ancestors. So the number is going down. Oh, that's a start. And, yes. and, and so, yeah, to... Um, wow. So that's, that's amazing. That's good news. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh my wow. gosh, that's amazing. We know that Firekeeper's Daughter was an idea that you've had and that your approach to Warrior Girl on Earth is obviously much different. Um, and we just wanted to know um, how did writing Warrior Girl on Earth compare to Firekeeper's Daughter and what your writing process for this book was like? had the idea at 18 didn't start writing till I was 44 took 10 years to write and then you know another uh, couple years of revisions and 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 the whole public publishing process um I had a year to write warrior girl to stay on <laughs> deadline wow wow <laughs> different much different much different yep. timeline very different and I'm not a fast writer either um but I just, um, I, I told myself that I was a stronger, better writer going into the second novel than I was at the first. I mean, honestly, the first five years I was floundering and just figuring out how to tell a story. So, um, and then with, uh, warrior girl it was really being very intentional and creating this roadmap because I knew I had to get there to the destination in a timely manner so I basically um I started with my pitch of indigenous Lara Croft Mm -hmm. um I then wrote like the jacket copy for the book like the first two paragraphs um then I wrote a one-page synopsis Then I wrote a four-page synopsis because I write in a four-act structure. So each act, I was like, okay, this is exactly what has to happen in each act. And then um, I ended up doing like a 20-page Excel spreadsheet of every chapter, every, like I fleshed it out. And so in lieu of a first draft to my editor, Jess Harold, I sent her like the four page synopsis and this Excel spreadsheet that just kind of laid out the roadmap of exactly where this story was going to go. So I definitely became more of a plotter rather than a pantser. Yes. 
And um, yeah, and and I still, you know, you still leave room open for that magic of a great idea that just pops in your head and you don't know where it came from. You know, I, I still had room for that, but I really needed to know like, okay, who's the villain? What's the situation? What are the stakes? What are the, you know, um, especially because so much happened. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then I do like that, you know, my plots are complicated and that there is more than one, um, you know, mystery that's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, my, my brain does kind of go into overdrive and, that's just how I operate. So I'm glad you do. Don't stop. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Don't stop. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Another cue. Me personally, I'm struggling. I think Chantel, maybe you had questions about it too, but the connection between Grant and Lockhart, why did they hate each other so much? There was mention of a woman, but I still feel confused about it. So the connection um, is in Firekeeper's Daughter on the booster bus, the uh, the woman that flashes the mm-hmm. truck driver and like kind of loses her shit on um, on the booster bus. And then Donna sees her coming out of Grant's, uh, call me Grant's hotel room. That's the woman that Lockhart was um, seeing, uh, but he couldn't marry her because he was still married to his first wife. Um, oh, who had gone and, missing? Oh. Yeah, and and who had yeah, and so, um, you know, that's the connection is that there was a woman that, uh, call me Grant had been with, and just you know treated casual, you know, casual this casual hookup, um, that Lockhart had actually cared about, um, and and so I had that kind of be a root of him wanting of Lockhart wanting to humiliate um Grant, Grant Edwards in a Talk very public way um that would do it that would do it yeah. yep. I mean yep. I'm petty as hell and so I hold grudges and <laughs> and so I yeah I had Lockhart being like a supreme grudge holder that makes much more sense. I didn't realize that he had fallen in love with that woman and was still married. That makes that clarifies it all for me. That makes sense. Yeah, because I think Donis, when she talks about the the lady with like the squirrel's nest hair. Oh, I um, remember her. Yeah. <laughs> she um refers to her as as the wife of the guy that owns like the south half of Sugar Island. But uh... you know, and then I clarified they hadn't gotten married because Lockhart was still uh legally married and um but yeah the whole like you know Grant doing just as usual you know conquest but what if this casual conquest actually the guy you know you know boyfriend whatever was like this isn't yeah that he would hold a grudge about it I love that. Mm-hmm. And thank you for killing Call Me Grant. He needed to go. He, needed he had to go. to go. He had to he go. Had to go. He, he was like dead man walking from a very long time. And um, it was so hard. Like I do so many book events and, and after Firekeeper's Daughter, people were like, is Grant Edwards, you know, like, is he ever going to get his? And, and me knowing like, he, yes, he will, but I'm not going to tell you anything about it. <laughs> Because um, I'll ruin the next book. <laughs> yeah. But for me, it was like, I left it vague with Firekeeper's Daughter of, did Donis and Aunt Teddy blanket party him? And I wanted that to be a discussion with readers of, is getting justice and healing, is that the same thing? And can you have one without the other? And, um, and then for Donis, when... In Warrior Girl, when she's talking with Perry and telling her about this, you know, rape that had happened to her as a young woman, um, and and Perry's like, "Well, did you blanket party him?" And she says, "Yes," and it didn't it it didn't um, make a difference to him. Mm-hmm. And and that you know, if if blanket parties were a hundred percent effective, I believe more of us would be um, advocating for blanket parties. But um, 
with predators, I felt like what Grant did is um, he then sought victims that didn't have relatives close by. And, and that's where his, you know, fixation on hockey girls, um, you know, if he could get a hockey player who was um, native, but not from that community, I mean, Mm -hmm. then he knew um, she wouldn't have family close by to, you know, blanket party him again. Um, Adapt, adapt and and change colors. Yeah, they do. They look for the opportunities and they look for how they can groom more victims. And that's where his um, interest in helping uh, Mackinac State College become a tribal college, that was all in him access to more hockey girls who are native and don't have relatives around. Ew. Grant, yes. ew. Gross. He needed I to would've... go. Honestly, when Chantal and I were talking about like, oh, do you think that Donis did it? I was like, I was a full no on the Donis thing because I love her so much. And I just felt like she had like too much like integrity to do something like mm-hmm. that. But there was a little tiny part of me that was like, you know, if she did, I wouldn't hold it against her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we think of Donis as this like wonderful moral center, but just think about like how outraged she was knowing that he asked Pauline if she played hockey, mm-hmm. like what um, triggers that would go off in her. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. So, yeah. Love that mystery in the book. That was a good one. Really made that, you think. Yes, that was good. I am curious what the deal was with Leroy pushing the knife further into Grant. Like, where did his hatred come from? Because he didn't respect Grant. Like, I mean, of course he heard, you know, people heard women saying, oh, Grant Edwards raped me. Oh, um, like Grant's reputation was well known and and um, Robin's dad knew, Mr. Bailey knew that gr- what Grant had done to his daughter. Um, I felt like Learwad didn't respect that what Grant was doing didn't honor the women the way that the, 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 um, taking of indigenous women the way Dr. Leroy was, um, he felt like a noble purpose uh, justifying his actions. And he felt that Grant had no integrity. It was so basic. It was so like for a sexual impulse um, that didn't honor the women the way Leroy was honoring these women oh that Mm. is just pure evil like yeah talk about a pot calling a kettle black like oh well and then too so in my advanced reader copy I hadn't put that in and I'm a I'm a slow writer and I always get these like 11th hour you know ideas and I wanted it to be um I wanted Mr. Bailey to, I wanted there to be something where Mr. Bailey was involved, but he wasn't the final thing. So it's like, didn't have to, he didn't, he didn't have to hold that burden necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, maybe there would be some kindness um, to Mr. Bailey in, you know, he, he's going to live with the guilt of what he did and the justification for what he did but um yeah I wanted to give some relief that um you know that what he did wasn't the final nail in the coffin so to speak that I love that and to be Mm -hmm. able to bring that motivation for Lirwa of they're both taking like Lirwa and Grant were both taking women but Lirwa justified some noble rationale. And with Grant, it was just this uh, basic primal urge mm. that had no respect. And I, I just felt like Lirwa was kind of this um, 
person that would have ascribed, you know, higher motives to him and would have thought Grant was like beneath him and not worthy of this. Yes, Mm -hmm. I love, that's a good explanation. I particularly love the tie-in with Mr. Bailey. That kind of Mm -hmm. makes me feel better because it's true. I mean, he could have lived. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. We don't know. Would it have changed his behavior? Maybe for a little bit, but not. No. You know, no, a leopard like that does not change his spots. No, no. Predators only stop you know uh when they're made to yes like the self-control is not there when you're a predator at that level Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no no um we have a question from a babe and annie is wondering how did you decide to continue donis in as part as a small part rather than right from the perspective of another family member on the island, which might have left her out. Because I know every moment of Donis's life, like I know mm-hmm. her entire life. And I felt like um, I always liked reading books and thinking what happened like a year later or 10 years later, a character that I truly yeah. love, um, you know, they're like, Donis is like a, a a niece or a daughter to me. And I just felt like she would be so interesting to see from the eyes of her niece, you know, Perry, yes. who idolizes her. And then, you know, there's kind of a, a, I think there's like a critical moment in the women, the mentors that we have, where we see them as, we finally see them as like imperfect, um, you know, and and that we can love them and recognize that they're not perfect people. Um, yes. And and so that was kind of part of Perry's journey with Donis too. And so I just, yeah, I just thought it would be neat to see, to show readers um, what Donis was up to, let everyone know that she's doing good. And, uh, but then keep some mystery in there too, about exactly what's mm-hmm. happened to her over the past 10 years. Yes. Speaking of which, Chantel, speaking of, you got a cue. Speaking of, who's Donis's baby daddy? Who's I have made it so daddy? obvious. Exactly who you think it is TJ? is exactly who it is. No, no, Jamie. Jamie. Ah, yes, 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 yes. I mean, Robin is—he's quick and agile. He mm-hmm. is uh, taking figure skating lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, he's oh, got like, gold yes. in his hair. Yes. Um, yes, he is somber and has like, like, um, uh, these deep thoughts and yeah, um, yes. he is. And then the, um, vision that Donna's had at the end of Firekeeper's Daughter where, you know, she mm-hmm. had, uh, Wabin's hand. Um, and Jamie's hand, like her hand was the sandwich in the middle of that. Um, that was the, you know, in the epilogue of Warrior Girl is Donis realizes that's the vision that she had was of Wobbin, but telling Wobbin about his sis, about his new sister oh. who was coming and for her to realize that, um, you know, that's cute. That she was yeah. exactly where she needed to be needed and to that be. everything was okay. We've got a question <laughs> from a babe from Summer and she's wondering what happened to Jamie? I have I have pondered how to tell Jamie's story and I wasn't quite sure how I could because I did not believe it would qualify as young adult. And I, hmm. I'm, that's okay. all. That's okay. All okay. T- okay. TBD. When I, when, I, dot, dot, when dot. I figure it out, then, then. We'll know too. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Just, Ooh, just throwing okay. it out there. You have a lot of not young adults who read your book. True. As well, so. Yes. <laughs> 
you know if there's a little spice in there or whatever it needs to be or if there's whatever it's fine we'll read (laughs) it (laughs) I know people readers uh want that first draft that I wrote of firekeeper's daughter that was definitely not young adult (laughs) and and I've like I've said you know I don't know what was going on in my life at the time um but it was not young adult and readers are like I will pay any amount of money for that draft and I've thought about it too. I've thought about maybe I can like publish under a pseudonym and be like, oh, here's some, you know, fan fiction. Oh, fan I, fiction. Mm. Okay. Um, oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. Ooh-wee. Okay. <laughs> I'll say this. If I ever were to write under a different name, the name I picked is Suzelle Henry. That Writing that down? That would be my fan fiction author name. And I have not written anything. So don't look for me and don't take that name from me. So <laughs> copyright, 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 yes. copyright. TM. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Good to know. Thank you. Another question from Summer. Um, Firekeeper's Daughter is set in 2004. Warrior Girl Unearthed in 2014. Is there a third book coming and would it be another 10 years down the road? Or um, she wants to also know who the main character is too, if if that is in the works. Greedy. Uh, She's greedy. A third book, She's greedy. Is, a yes. third book is in the works. Um, I cannot say the year and I can't reveal the main character yet, but I try to challenge myself. So I could have written a sequel to Firekeeper's Daughter and it would have been Donis's next adventure. And that did not interest me. What interested me was challenging myself as a writer to write a character who is completely different from Donis. Um, and, and I did that. So my second book, like was like mission accomplished. I wrote a character who was so different from Donna's and I had so much fun writing her. Um, and then I don't know if you know this, but, uh, I did a special edition for Walmart and those books have an annotated chapter where I kind of, where I hand write some notes uh, with chapter 17, like the big chapter that where mm-hmm. everything happens. Um, and I have, it's annotated. So it's reprinted in the back with my handwritten notes of what I was thinking about when I was writing. Well, Barnes and Noble in the US wanted a special edition and they requested a bonus chapter written by a different character and um I kind of agonized over it and then finally I was like well let me just try to write it from Perry or from Pauline you know it was first it was like oh that's the obvious choice and I was gonna write it from you know another character uh but I kept coming back to Pauline and I gave it a try and I loved it so much that I was like I think it would be great to write a story that had um, dual narrators. And so for my third book, I will have more than one narrator. I feel like that's my next challenge as a writer um, to write uh, different narrators and have those voices be so distinct. That's exciting. (laughs) Oh, I'm excited. Um, We... Um, Caitlin and I during the last few episodes were kind of wondering like maybe like prequel status maybe some Granny June and mini shenanigans maybe maybe. I would read that so fast oh my gosh like what if you find like I'm I think about them because um, so my cousin Elaine's grandma her name is Tapun uh, she's passed but she's kind of like a big inspiration between you know for granny june and she was friends with this other elder who's another like cousin of my grandma and her name was baz and oh they would just squabble with each other and then i remember asking um to pun one time the granny june uh inspiration one time like what were you guys like as teens and she she said we would walk on Sugar Island to go to the dances. 
And we had to walk slow because Baz would always be wearing her high heels and we had to walk in the snow. And I just, that just gave me like the coolest image of these two girls who maybe they started out not even liking each other, mm-hmm. but you know, on the Island, you're friends with who's, you know, the proximity, not, you know, necessarily because you really connect with them. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely do think about Granny June and Minnie as young women and what shenanigans they would get up to. I would love yes, to know. Yes, I'd well. love to know too. Because I loved them. I loved when I'm they made their little them. like appearance during the heist. And when mm-hmm. she asked, what are you going to do? And they said, we could show them a good time. I died because that was so funny. Yes. Well, too. And then the whole thing about like elders who text each other in the yeah. morning to let the other know that they lived through the night. That's an actual thing that elders mm-hmm. do. Um, you know, and then, yeah, Granny June gets you know doesn't hear from Minnie so she you know calls for tribal police for a wellness check and she didn't know it was going to be Minnie's grandson that being the cop that does the wellness check and that Minnie was an overnight guest um (laughs) I love it but you know what when I'm when I am well I'm I'm 58 and so I'm closer to 60 than and when I think of People at 60, I think of like elder, like technically I will be an elder. I hope I'm still like having overnight guests and getting guests. I mean, yeah. I can tell you, and I think I said this on the pod, you, you write from a young person's perspective as if you are them. Like yes. with the way that they speak and the the things that they do, you do that so well. So you are very young. You you are not fifty eight. You all, are all the overnight guests. All the yeah, overnight all guests. The, for you. Wish, wish for me all the overnight. <laughs> Party at Angeline's. <laughs> I have a um a red sports car. So I when people are like, oh, are you which character are you most like? And I think. I'm most like Mini Mustang. I mean, I had a, a midlife crisis. I have a red BMW sporty car that I, you know, yeah. I yeah. love that. <laughs> I love yes. that. Yes. That's amazing. Okay. I've got a question. Was the repatriation ceremony at the end of the book for the ancestors from Lockhart's, this is poorly worded, but his public or private collection quotes air quotes because we've learned that that's the wrong way to describe it but I'm not sure what else to call it sure no it was for the um the ancestors that they repatriated from the silo so they didn't recover and I you know I I'm I will write a bonus chapter about it because I, you know, realized that it wasn't as clear and, um, but yes, uh, they were, they did a, uh, recommitment to the earth ceremony for those ancestors that they repatriated from the silo. They did find them and it was all part of Lockhart and Webb and, um, Claire's, uh, their, their heist, their secret heist. Um, so yeah. So they got a bit of a happy ending, I guess. I, I quite, I quite yeah, like that. I like just, I, yeah, I, I needed to make that more clear and I will just, you know, chalk it up to, oh, I wish I had one more round of edits, but yeah. Honestly, I would have been satisfied with either of the group with the ones that he, Lockhart had donated to the the tri- the tribe rather or the silo. Like I would have been happy with either, but I quite like yeah. that it was yes that they got the there. ones that they had saved. Yes, that Perry yes. had saved. Mm-hmm. Perry and Pauline and Lucas yes. and heist. And, and yeah, the bonus chapter is uh, the heist. Um, from Pauline's perspective that's the bonus chapter in the Barnes and Noble special edition and I absolutely loved it 
when I wrote it, I was like, oh my gosh, I can do dual narratives. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I got to go buy a million copies of this book now so that I can get all the bonus chapters. 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 Yes. yes. Yeah. The Walmart special edition also has um, a Perry summer play summer of slack playlist. Shoot. I want I'm that. Because at the beginning, yeah. she's listening to MIA, and that was sweet. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Bethany, one of our babes, would like to know if you weren't an author, what would you be instead? We know that you've would, had a career, but yeah, I I would I would be still working um, for the federal government. I I would be the you know, working for the Office of Indian Education, and I would be doing what I could do to improve public school education um, for Native American students and also about Native Americans for all students to know more about Native Americans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's so important. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's so important. Okay, we got another one for you from a babe named Callan. They want to know, this is back to the heist, one, who knocked out, who knocked out Webb, and two, why did Stormy leave with the pipe? So I will say this. Um, I have not finished writing what happened that night. Claire, who knocked out Webb, because that was part of the setup, is okay. that Webb was going to knock out... Um, Eric, and then Claire was going to come along and knock out mm. Webb. I see. So I see to, Webb like, to make it look possible like a cover up the ability, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then take um, you know, uh, take the ancestors to a prearranged spot that she and Webb and Lockhart had had this all figured out from the get-go and you know in that way team misfit toys were just these pawns of who can we get to get them out of the silo and you know steal and um and then we're going to take from them and what are they going to do um you know uh and then the part about stormy i will say i have not finished writing that that's fair and that will be revisited that's fair. TBD. Fair. That's love. I honestly, I love Stormy's character. It's exciting. I, I love Stormy too. And I don't know if you know that in the earlier drafts of Firekeeper's Daughter, actually, this was like one of the last edits I made um, when I was working with my editor. Uh, originally, Stormy was going to be right there with Levi and and Mike, but. Um, Stormy always reminded me of one of my son's best friends and uh, another uh, Ojibwe boy that was one of my first students. And there's just something so endearing and, you know, boys that maybe we don't, we don't give them the credit. We look at them and see the obstacles and we don't see their strengths and I just absolutely adored you know I adore these young men that I've been so fortunate to work with or meet through my sons and I just wanted a different ending for Stormy at the end and and so he's one of my favorite characters and and so to be able to revisit him um in Warrior Girl was just such a treat. Yes, it and was I'm, beautiful to see him done. again. Yeah, oh. I am definitely not done with Stormy. Yes, That's that makes me happy. <laughs> I quite like Stormy. Yeah, and he uh, played a pretty integral mm. role in in a quiet way. I As guess he would. Stormy's a good yes, one. Yeah, yeah, Stormy's a good mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has a moral center that might not make sense to other people, but it makes sense to him. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It, that makes sense. It doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. Um, but he's yeah. comfortable with his choices. I'm happy that you changed that in Firekeeper's daughter so that he could stay on Sugar Island. Right. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. 
Yes. And, and because, you know, the tribe had the banishment for uh, drug crimes, but Stormy going to, you know, being held in contempt of court for not uh, cooperating with Levi's investigation, that was contempt of court. It was not a drug crime. So he was not banished. Um, he still had his uh, per capita payments that were banked for him. And so he was able to, you know, purchase land on Sugar Island and and come back and live live a life that he made for himself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I love oh, that stormy. for Stormy. <laughs> um, we have a question from Summer. And Summer is wondering, what was the most difficult part of the book to write? And did that particular part change over time? Um, As a writer, my hardest part is like that. I would say it's kind of like that 75 to 85 percent mark like I know how the story ends I know you know the critical thing that happens in the midpoint um but it's kind of like that how do I get to that final scene and have it be something that um sustains interest and introduces some new information but doesn't rewrite you know, uh, yes, makes sense still. Yeah, it has to make sense. So for me as a writer, kind of that three quarter mark is really difficult for me. Um, but then I would say in terms of scene writing, I think the most difficult part was like writing what Perry, uh, felt, when she was first encountering all the ancestors in that museum archives, because mm-hmm. that um, I had to go on, um, you know, uh, people who do the work. I, I went on based on, you know, my conversations with them and how that uh, was. And I wanted to do justice to it. And it, it, it yeah. Yeah, that was that was hard. And it was hard to read. It was hard to read. And I think you captured that emotion, too, because I felt like heartbroken and disgusted and all of the feelings that Perry was feeling. Yes. And, you know, and I made a point that and I said in my author's note too, like every horrible thing that I included, like cereal box full of teeth, that's an actual thing that someone who does repatriation work told me about an academic in Indiana who had that, Um, you know, and, and writing with Sharpies on, on bones. Um, These are actual things that happen to our ancestors and would, you know, and so, yeah, when Perry's like asking Cooper, um, well, what if, for every one of our ancestors that they study, they had to give up one of their own. Um, you know, these like to a to a young person trying to make sense of the um, things that don't make sense. Yeah, uh, that's a va- valid question for a young person to ask who's outraged too. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. The whole thing really, I don't want to say humanized. It, it, um, it was very eye-opening Opening, yeah. to think yeah. about that, to think about my mom has passed and I couldn't imagine her bones with Sharpie or her teeth in a, like, it's, Mm-mm. it's heavy and it hurts. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you felt that through Perry and you felt it suddenly within yourself too. And right. That line between desecration and research, is it? really that fine of a line or is it just more obvious than what we would think mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of like Lirwa as a character yeah. that was him right like blurring those lines Ugh. yeah he saw the line he stepped over it and then like skipped and Kept ran running away, past yeah. it <laughs> yeah. um 
Okay, I've got a question for you from Ashley, but first she wanted me to tell you something from her and I wholeheartedly agree with this and I could not have worded it better. So I want to thank her for putting this here for us to tell you. So she says, please thank her for sharing part of her culture and allowing us a glimpse into indigenous life. Warrior Girl on Earth is beautiful and gut-wrenching and makes me want to be a better person. And that's from Ashley. Oh my God. Like there's no higher compliment a writer could receive than that their words actually change the way a person thinks and moved them to such a, a depth. Um, I will also share that my tribe's uh, uh, preservation officer, repatriation specialist, her name is Marie Richards. And she wrote me an email and she had, had finished reading uh, warrior girl and she said um, at times she had to set the book aside because it was just so raw but she said um, while she set the book aside she got an email from Michigan State University with a notice of transfer of remains and um, it was letting her know that a repatriation they had in the works was approved and it was actually going to happen that we were going to be able to get our ancestors from Michigan State University. And she said that feeling that she had when she read that email, she would have said, she said that's how she would have answered if she was Cooper when Perry said, how do you do this work when it's so heavy on your heart? And Marie's answer was because of the moments when you get that notification that you're going to bring someone home. That's why you do it. And, and so, yeah, I, yeah. Goosebumps. I've got goosebumps because that is so perfect. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love that she experienced that. Okay. Ashley's question for you though, is she wants to know if you were more like Perry or Pauline growing up. Oh, uh, Pauline. I, I'm completely Pauline. Are you? <laughs> yeah, I am. I wished I was Perry, but um, no, I would always think about what I wanted to say and I'd come up with a perfect retort like the next day. Um, very anxious, very high strung. Um, I do have uh, trichotillomania, so I, I do hair pulling. Um, I do nail picking. I do certain self-soothing behaviors that I growing up I felt like such a freak and I didn't realize this is a, a medical condition and when I actually was open about it with my mother she said oh yeah um I had an aunt who you know would would pick her nails to the point of like they would be bloody and and it was like okay there's a hereditary component to this this is like a self-soothing um, uh, obsessive compulsive, uh, factor to it. And, and I never saw a book for me, if I was a teen and I saw a book where this was actually something that a, that a high achieving teen did, it would have made so much sense to me. And, and that's the power of books for young adults is we can show them that, what they think of as the range of normal is so much wider. Like there's so much that doesn't get um, talked about, but we can share that in a character and for them to know this is an actual thing. This isn't like you, this yeah, you're not anything crazy. wrong yeah. with you. This is a way of coping. It is something that's hardwired. It's something that has a hereditary component and um, talking about it reduces stigma and shame. Mm-hmm. I love Beautifully that. Beautifully said. And thank you for sharing that with us. This is also from Summer again. Hello, Summer. Um, she said, Summer. I know she's the Summer best. Loves you. <laughs> that she's read interviews about how the concept of Warrior Girl on Earth came to you while doing final edits on Firekeeper's Daughter, and that there were 
warrior girl unearthed Easter eggs that found their way into Firekeeper's daughter. She's wondering if she you could tell us what those Easter eggs were. First, it was when Perry and Pauline joined Donis on the sofa and they were talking about their dreams. And Perry said, I dreamt I was a bank robber and I I was really good at it. That was one where she was like Mm -hmm. stealing jewels and Mm -hmm. that she was really good at it. Um, And then the other is like the, um, when, uh, when they're talking, the twins are talking with Donis about going to university of Hawaii at Manoa. And Donis is saying, you're going to get to visit me at Thanksgiving. And um, we can go to museums. We can, you know, do all these things. And Perry's like, I don't want to go to museums. I want to go surfing. And, and just that whole like museums, really? Uh, And that was kind of like a cute little Easter egg because I knew it was going to be Perry who was going to be the intern that got assigned to the tribal museum. So I loved being able to include Easter eggs like that. And, and then I felt like Uh, once readers knew the pitch for the second book, you know, the indigenous Lara Croft, but she's returning, uh, she's returning items from museums. um, Then I felt like if they read Firekeeper's Daughter, knowing that pitch, that they would be able to figure out which twin it was. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. I, I think I'm going to go back and read Firekeeper's Daughter again. Oh, such a good book. Oh, yeah. I've read it and I've listened to it as well. The um audio, the narrator, you had mentioned that you had a narrator. Amazing. She is incredible. And I got to meet her in person oh. during my book tour. So I was on book tour for about three weeks in May and I met her in Minneapolis. Um, there was an event that was sponsored by uh, Birchbark Books, which oh. is the independent bookseller. That's right. Uh, these ones. Yes, yes, they did my pre-order, yeah. and um, and Isabella was in the audience, and I was able to meet her in real life for the first time. So That's she special. narrated books, and she's just a beautiful human, and I just am so glad that that she does what she does. She brings mm-hmm. characters to life, mm-hmm. either on stage on screen or via audio wow she's amazing she is amazing we'll start wrapping up and we just wanted to know what you're reading currently um I this is like one of the best perks about being an author is that you get to read advanced copies of books to do book blurbs and I just finished reading um uh Moon of the Turning Leaves, which is the mm. sequel to Moon of the Crusted Snow by um, Wab Rice. And uh, so I just finished reading that. Um, I also read a book called Better the Blood, which is a crime thriller, uh, adult, it's not young adult, um, by um, a New Zealand author named Michael Bennett. And it's so interesting because it's been compared to Firekeeper's Daughter of this like crime story. And in this case, it's a, um, a law enforcement officer. She's female and she's um, Maori. And um, his approach to the language in the book was to utilize footnotes. And it was just so interesting. Um, and it was a great, it's a great story. So that's, yeah. And then... Um, another great book that's coming out soon, and it's called The Shadow Sister by Lily Mead. And, um, oh my gosh, it has the best opening line of a book. Um, my sister is a bitch, but that doesn't mean I wanted her dead. And it's like this, you know, this sister goes missing and then it just gets into like the narrative of who is the perfect victim and, Anyway, it's so good. Uh, And then the last book that I read was Promise Boys by Nick Brooks. And that's a young adult uh, mystery about 
three different boys that are attending like one of these promise academies um, in DC and their principal ends up dead. And each one of them is uh, considered a suspect. And it's such an interesting novel because it has 30 different narrators and like each chapter is like maybe two pages. And some of the chapters are like an excerpt of a police transcript. And it's just such, it's an easy read, but it's so deceptively like intense. Yeah. Added added all four to my TBR just now. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Oh, and I heard I heard that the audio for Promise Boys is like this full cast thing. And and so I'm I'm gonna listen to it because I really love audiobooks and um I I did an event with Nick Brooks, the author, and and when he said that it was like this full cast thing, wow. I just I was like, okay, I gotta I gotta listen. That's that is awesome. Okay, last question. Do you have any parting words for us and our babes? Chimaguetch for your support. I, I don't know how exactly our paths crossed. But you've made such a huge difference to me as an author. I just feel so um, bonded to your book club and to you guys. And I'm just so glad that you get to be part of, like, that you were part of my launch for uh, the cover reveal and that you've just become part of my author uh, experience. And, uh, don't ever underestimate the power that you have to reach readers and help them find great books and feel a sense of connection with the stories that they're reading. Um, what you do I'm gonna cry. Is, is it's great work. I'm so glad that you're doing it. And what you do makes a huge difference. So chi makwech. Angeline, thank you. (laughs) We could say the same. We we're like, you have given us the confidence to put ourselves out there after our first interview. It was amazing. We didn't even think that that was uh, attainable for us. And having the interview with you really gave us the confidence to be like, we can ask these authors if they want to talk with us, and they'll probably say yes. (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh, yeah, like. Like there are these incredible authors and ask them to be on your show. Uh, you know, when does shadow you. sister come out? When is it released? Do you I know? think it comes out beginning late June or beginning of July. So maybe August. We have, it comes. We out haven't soon. picked that book yet. We <laughs> yeah. haven't booked a July or August book yet. Okay, interesting. Oh yeah, it's only June. Okay, okay, okay. No mm-hmm. good. And her authors know. Oh my gosh. Uh, I just yeah. She she's an amazing talent. And wow. Yeah. Your wow. author's note for Warrior Keeper, uh, Warrior Girl on Earth was beautiful. Yes. By the way. Yes. Yes. You, yes. I Chantal and I never read the author's note sorry <laughs> sorry but we no. did for you obviously <laughs> because we're obsessed with we, you and it I was didn't so want to stop reading your book <laughs> yeah so powerful uh, thank you so much you guys I just oh thank you so much thank no. you thank you it's always a pleasure catching up with you Angeline <laughs> you're our fave yeah big old love fest going on here <laughs> yes yes <laughs> thank you um and I guess we'll just have to talk with you soon We'll just have to talk to you soon. Keep us posted, Angeline, on what's your next going on. Thank you, Angeline. Thanks, have Angeline. A wonderful evening. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Lovely as always. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Please join us over at the Book Club Babes Facebook group for book discussions and to make your book recommendations or on Instagram at bookclubbabes.pod. If you'd like to reach out to us directly, you can email us at bookclubbabes.pod at gmail.com or contact us on our website at bookclubbabes.ca. If you love the Book Club Babes podcast, please tell a friend about us. And until next time, bye! bye. Hey 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.